sermon this morning comes from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. And as you find John 20 uh, this morning in your Bible at home, I want to start by saying that while the events of Easter Sunday always matter, that in our current context, their importance really stands out. The threat of death that is so much a part of the Easter story is always with us, of course. It's always in the background, but now it's directly and intensely in front of all of us. <clears throat> Relationships have always been important, but right now we are realizing anew just how important they are and how vulnerable they are. Vulnerable to death, yes, but also vulnerable to distance, whether that's being too far away for too long or being too close for too long. And given how much of the world has stopped working or greatly reduced their work, so many of us now feel a hole on the inside that goes even beyond the fear of making ends meet to even the very core of our sense of purpose. And just to say this, uh, our Reformed Christian tradition has reflected a lot on work and its meaning in the Bible. And one insight that I would offer from that reflection is that work is a gift that God has given to all people to allow us to express love to our families and to our neighbors and also to our cities and our country and even in this globalized age to the world. Work is about love. And that hole that you might be feeling right now if you've had to stop your work or limit your work likely comes from that limitation or inability to express that God-given love in the tangible ways that you're used to. Death, relationships, and work. These three things are very much at the forefront of our minds right now. And on Easter Sunday, when Jesus rises from the dead, all three of these things find new answers and even fresh meaning. <clears throat> My friends, Easter matters because death is real and it needs to be conquered. Easter matters because relationships are valuable, but they are also vulnerable and they need to be saved and preserved. And Easter matters because we all need a vocation, a mission that is bigger than ourselves, that allows us to love our families and our neighbors and our cultures. And through his resurrection, Jesus has given us that mission and that preservation and safety of relationships and that life that conquers death. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning briefly. We're going to look at, first, how Jesus' resurrection beats death. Second, how Jesus' resurrection saves and preserves relationships. And then finally, how Jesus' resurrection gives us a new mission that is a new way to love our families and our wider community. So Jesus' resurrection beats death. Jesus' resurrection saves and preserves our relationships. And then finally, Jesus' resurrection gives us a new mission. So let's read John chapter 20, verses 1 to 18, and then we'll reflect on these points together. <clears throat> John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. 
So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. But Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means my teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Thus far, what can only be the very word of God. Let us pray. <clears throat> Our trying God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for this word which you have given us. And Lord, we pray that in your mercy, uh, you would uh, write your word upon our hearts so that we might see the risen Christ standing in victory over the grave, standing in welcome, standing in in eternal love. Father, we ask that your spirit now give us minds to understand, ears to hear, and hearts to believe your word. Father, may the words of my mouth as your preacher and the meditation of our hearts as those called to hear and receive your word be pleasing in your sight now. And we ask this through Jesus our Lord. Amen. <clears throat> so the first thing we're going to look at this morning is how Jesus saves us from death. Now, our chapter begins with something sadly familiar, visiting the grave of someone we love. Now, all of the Gospels make clear that Jesus was hastily buried in a tomb just before sundown on Friday night, because that Saturday was both a Sabbath day, which was a day of worship for the people of God, and that same Saturday was also the day of Passover, which was one of the high holy days of God's people. And it's one of the high holy days because Passover celebrates God freeing his people from death when they were slaves in Egypt and bringing them to life with him in the land. And yes, that connection is very intentional on God's part. So because of the kinds of preparation and celebration and events going on 
on the Sabbath day and Passover day, not one of Jesus' friends was able to prepare his body for burial the way that they wanted to. Like us, they had ways of treating the bodies of loved ones with respect as one final act of love that you get to perform for someone you love before they're laid into the ground. Now, we know from the other Gospels that Mary Magdalene went along with some other women to go to the tomb in order to perform those acts of love. And let me just say, that shows that clearly she loved Jesus. A body buried for more than a day in its normal state is not going to look good. It's not going to smell good. But Mary loves Jesus. And she will endure that to honor and to love her friend one last time. But the text tells us when she arrives, she sees the tomb open and a large, st the large stone door rolled away. And her response is exactly what ours would be if we saw the tomb of one of our loved ones open, which is fear that something has happened to the body of the person you love, and the desire to tell people who also love them, people who might be able to do something about that problem. So in verse 2, we're told, She ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And that, by the way, is John. John often calls himself uh, the other disciple in the gospel or the disciple that Jesus loved uh, for reasons maybe we can explore more in a future future sermon, but that's just John. So verse 2 says, She ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and she said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And then Peter and John do exactly what we would expect them to do, because what I think we would do, they race to the tomb. And we're told that uh, John got there first. And that matters to John, not because of bragging rights, Though maybe uh, he felt a little bit of that. But that's not why he put it in the gospel. He includes that detail because his gospel is built around him being an eyewitness. And John wants us to know that when we are reading his gospel, that of all the disciples, he saw the empty tomb first. He did not hear about it secondhand or anything like that. He is telling us what he saw when he, of all the disciples, arrived first. So he tells us in verse 5 that he stooped to look in and saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Now what John thought at that moment we can only guess at, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was something like our thoughts would be at that moment. Why would somebody take the body and leave the grave clothes? I mean, you think if someone was going to steal a dead body, they would want to touch the grave clothes and not undress the body and carry the body out without them. And while I'm sure John was wondering these kinds of thoughts, we're told in verse 6 that Peter arrives, and that in a typical Matt Barker fashion, I mean, typical Peter fashion, he pushes his way past everybody. Peter goes into the tomb, and we're told, he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. <clears throat> so an empty tomb, the body gone, the grave clothes separated 
and full. And then we're told in verse 8, Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So a couple of things to notice here. First, notice that John believed. And since this is John's eyewitness account and not Peter's eyewitness account, I'm not surprised he doesn't uh, talk about Peter's response here. But second, notice that while he believed, they, meaning Peter and John, and this is also kind of why I'm assuming that Peter also believed here, uh, they didn't yet fully understand what the empty tomb meant. That was empty, they saw. They saw that it didn't make sense for it to be a grave robbery. And since the Pharisees and the Sadducees remembered Jesus' words, I bet they even connected it to our Lord's promise that he would rise again on the third day. But what that rising again would look like, and the meaning of that empty tomb, that was not immediately apparent to them. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you believe that the tomb was empty. And that's a good belief. There's a tremendous amount of evidence for it. There's the, the gospel accounts, which are built not just around the disciples' own eyewitness accounts, but in the gospels, every named person, every person with a name in the gospels is named as an ancient way of citing your sources. They were named there because at the time of writing, the expectation was you could go and find these people and you could ask them, is this what you saw? Which, by the way, lets you see and me see that John's source for this account of Jesus' resurrection isn't just himself. It's also Mary Magdalene. So there's plenty of eyewitnesses. And there's the fact, uh, including the other Gospels, that the tomb was secured by guards because, remember, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they heard Jesus loud and clear that he would rise again on the third day. And so they asked for a detachment of soldiers to go and guard the tomb for those three days so that Jesus' words could not be proven true. And then on top of that, there's the fact that not one of those authorities or soldiers produced the body or anybody because the tomb was empty. The tomb is empty. Jesus said it would be empty on the third day of his death. So like Peter and John, you might believe his words, you might believe the evidence, but you may not understand its meaning. Here's the meaning. This is the meaning of the empty tomb that Jesus taught his disciples and that Jesus showed them that the Old Testament clearly proclaimed. Through Jesus' resurrection, death has been conquered. For once and for all. Jesus tells us that he came so that everyone who believes in him can be and will be raised to life on the day of his second coming. Jesus tells us that through his resurrection, all who believe in him will put on a resurrection body like his. A body that no longer gets sick or weak or frail. A body that no longer participates in unloving actions. A body that no longer fails to love in appropriate ways. Right? Through Jesus' resurrection, death loses in all its forms. And life wins 
eternal godly life. That's the meaning of Jesus' resurrection. And then from that meaning comes our second point, which is how Jesus' resurrection saves and preserves relationships. And for that, we're going to look at verses 11 to 17. So as the text tells us, the disciples leave believing, but not yet fully understanding. But verse 11 tells us that Mary remains outside the empty tomb weeping. Uh, so given what I just said a moment ago, that names in the gospel are an ancient way of citing your sources, we need to recognize that this section from verses 1 through 18 represents both John's eyewitness testimony, and now especially verses 11 through 17, Mary's eyewitness testimony. And unfortunately, we don't have time this morning to look at all of it in detail, but I really like what uh, the, the late, great biblical scholar C.H. Dodd said about this passage. He said that for him, this is the most humanly, humanly moving of all the stories of the risen Christ. And then he added later, there is nothing quite like it in the Gospels. Is there anything quite like it in all of ancient literature? I think, amen, right? Now, why is that? Well, because this is, an, this is not only just an eyewitness account, but it's an eyewitness account that is so full of emotion, right? The emotions of sorrow and of longing and of loss that we feel when our relationships are severed by death. And then in her case, when they are topped with the emotions that come from being able to say goodbye in the way that we want to, and being unable to show those last acts of respect and love that are so central to burials and to funerals. Like many of you, I'm sure you've seen recently those tragic images from New York City about people being hurriedly buried and the families of loved ones not being able to attend their funerals or to show those last acts of respect and love for their dead loved ones. Maybe some of you have a similar feeling because for some reason, reason or another in your past, you were prevented from attending a funeral of somebody that you love. That kind of sorrow is what Mary is feeling here. It's why she's standing outside the tomb weeping. Now, unlike Peter and John, apparently, she did not yet connect the empty tomb to the words of Jesus. And I say that because when she sees the angels in the tomb, and when she sees Jesus before she recognizes him, she's still talking about someone stealing the body. Mary is mourning her loss of relationship. She is mourning her inability to express gratitude and thankfulness. And she is mourning her inability to say goodbye one last time. But then, Jesus brings comfort to Mary in this powerful conversation in verse 15. You know, so he asked her a question and Mary says, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus replied, Mary. This response is so beautiful to me for two reasons. Uh, first uh, is just the fact that names are essential to relationships. You can't really have any kind of relationship without you and the other person knowing each other's names. And Jesus calls her by name. But second, and related to that, think back to Jesus' words earlier on in the Gospel of John, 
if you're familiar with him. Didn't Jesus say that his sheep hear his voice and that he calls them by name and they respond? Here, Jesus is calling his sheep by name. Mary. And her response is exactly as Jesus said it would be. She hears his voice. She hears him say her name. And she replies, Rabboni. Now what makes her response so significant to my mind is that she doesn't reply with Thomas's words later on in this chapter, my Lord and my God. Which would be totally appropriate. But instead, she replies with the same name that she used for Jesus before his crucifixion. Jesus and Mary here are addressing one another with the names they used in their relationship before his death. So the point here is that through Jesus' resurrection, through his victory over death, their relationship has been reestablished. And now their relationship outlasts death because death has been defeated and that is such an important part of the gospel message eternal life without eternal relationships is hardly a life at all relationships are a fundamental part of our creating being created good at the very beginning of the world in genesis before sin was ever our problem our triune god would look at adam before he created Eve, and he would say, it is not good for man to be alone. You see, we were created for eternal relationships with God and with each other, with God. And now today, with all of our fears of death, and even with all of our social distancing and the stress and the strain it puts on our relationships, Jesus wants you to know that through his resurrection, the stresses and the strains, the damage and the breakage, the feeling of them ending a death does not have to be the final story. Through Jesus, our relationships can survive. And not just survive, but continue in joyful peace forever. Because Jesus tells us through his resurrection, that not even death can break relationships that are anchored in, in the God who died and rose again and who calls us by name. All of which brings us to our final point this morning, which is that Jesus' resurrection gives us a new mission. So at the beginning of the sermon, I mentioned that work is a gift that God gives that allows us to express our love in an expansive way. Work is a form of mission, where I take mission to mean showing God's love. And here, after his resurrection, Jesus gives his people, he gives his church a job, he gives us a mission, a mission that we can fulfill whether we are employed or unemployed, whether we work at home or out of the home, a mission that we can fulfill whether we are young and old, and even while, excuse me, and even while we are social distancing. And that mission is, Tell people about Jesus so that they can repent and believe and be forgiven of their sins and enter into relationships that are anchored in Christ's own eternal life. So in verses 17 and 18, we have this really curious exchange. 
Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. <clears throat> so I think that our translation makes Jesus' words to Mary sound a little bit like a rebuke. Uh, I generally like woodenly literal translations, but this can be one of their dangers. A, a, a better translation, one that's a little more, more helpful, would be to hear Jesus say, Please don't try to hug me forever. Because as Calvin was the first to point out, Jesus is not rebuking Mary for hugging him, which is what clinging means. And why would Jesus blame her? Why would he rebuke her? His whole ministry, as he said over and over in John's Gospel, is one of creating close relationships between his people and himself. Right? Jesus took a body so that he could embrace us in eternal fellowship. And Mary, at that moment, is enjoying the fruit of Jesus' resurrection ministry. No, what Jesus is doing is not rebuking her. He's telling her that her relationship with him carries a mission. Because a relationship with Jesus is not just about Jesus and me. It's about Jesus and us. A relationship with Jesus involves a mission to invite others to Jesus. And Jesus desires a relationship with all who would come to him. And so our mission is to invite everyone around us to meet Jesus. And so Jesus first sends Mary to the disciples. Jesus is coming to you too. And then after Jesus meets his disciples, he tells them in verse 21, which we didn't read, he says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Right? Mission. It's the mission Jesus has given to the disciples. It's the mission he's given to the church. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And how is Jesus sent? Well, that's just John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You see, Jesus' mission is about eternal life in eternal relationship with the eternal God and with his people forever. Through the forgiveness of their sins, which is received by faith, lived in resurrection bodies that can never die. That is what Jesus' mission was and is all about. And now, Jesus sends us out with that same mission not to condemn the world, but to see it saved into this eternal relationship through faith in Jesus. Through trust that Jesus died on the cross to forgive our sins. And through trust that the tomb was empty because Jesus was raised to life. And through that resurrection, conquered death and established the foundation for our eternally secure relationships in him. And also through trust that the greatest mission that we have today, even in a pandemic, maybe it's actually especially in a pandemic, is to bear witness about Jesus' resurrection glory. 
so that we can enter into the same kind of eternal joy that the disciples and Mary had when they learned what Jesus had done for them, that we have when we learn what Jesus has done for us. So what Easter means for us today then is this. Jesus has beaten death. Jesus has given us hope and joy and eternal relationship through the forgiveness we have in him. And Jesus has given us a mission that brings hope and joy and forgiveness to those around us. So let's celebrate Jesus. Let's trust him. Let's rejoice through him. And let's talk about him. Amen. Let's pray. Our triune God, we thank you that through Jesus, you have conquered death. You have established us in eternal relationships with you. And you have given us a mission that invites other people to know that same kind of confidence and victory over death. And that same kind of joy at knowing that our relationships need not end, but can go on and on forever through him. Father, anchor these words deep down in our soul. Give us faith to believe them and empower in us uh, the courage and the wisdom we need so that we can speak and remain silent at the appropriate times and in so doing bear witness to Christ so that many, so that all those around us might hear the gospel and repent and believe. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.